one. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Boilers. It's a late night edition as uh, we've got boots on the ground in Austin, Texas. Chris, you are reporting live from the JW Marriott over there in uh, down south. I'm up in cold and blistery West Lafayette where it's like 20 degrees. I hope you've got some better weather in Texas. Well, it's marginally better. It's in the 40s here, um, but it was pretty hot in the lobby because we had a uh, epic game of Euchre going on, which probably attracted quite a bit of attention from from folks why a bunch of uh, 50-year-old men were drinking coffee and playing Euchre at this time of night in the lobby of the hotel. Well, hey, you know, sometimes you, you've got to be able to, to get the competitive juices flowing. I hope that you won for the sake of the podcast. Yeah, I won because I've got a, a buddy of mine that I have not seen in person in about 30 years that I forgot that he is the best card player I've ever known in my life. <laughs> Je- <laughs> Jeffy, Jeffy can flat out play Euchre. He's amazing. Shout out, shout out to Jeffy. Um, hopefully he's the podcast. I hope that you were trying to convert all of them, try to boost our listenership. And, and of course, JW Marriott executives who I know are for sure listening to this podcast, uh, Monday morning boilers at gmail.com. Hit us up. Let's talk sponsorships for the seg, you know, for our podcast. We'd love you to be the first one on board. And <laughs> we can get it done. <laughs> but uh, with, it being a little bit of a light week as far as Purdue sports, uh, basketball obviously played tonight. They played on Thursday against Maryland as well. We'll get into them in a, in a bit, but let's talk Purdue football. Bowl practices started up this past Friday. A couple of interesting notes, it sounds like, coming out of uh, at least the early reports of the, the first couple practices. And I think the first one really on the defensive line is Giovanni Revere. Is, I think officially making the transition to defensive tackle. Yeah, so it's interesting because Mr. Karloftis, young Mr. Karloftis, gave a bit of a tease of this in an interview with Golden Black guys, mm-hmm. um, talking about they're going to maybe stand him up at DN and that Giovanni would move inside. And then with the injury to uh, Lorenzo to Neal, and then I understand uh, Kiwan Jones may be a question mark for the bowl game. Um, it does make sense to maybe test, kind of test drive this this setup because George Karloftis obviously is going to play DN, which is going to move Giovanni inside. So it's kind of you know kind of a chance to, to test run something. Well, in Giovanni, I think he had an okay season in his first year as a defensive end, but he to me is much more of a defensive tackle than he is an end, just a space eater eat up blocks in the interior. I mean, he's massive. He's like 6'5", 270. I mean, he's built like a mountain. Yeah, so it, may he be, makes, it may be a more natural position for him. And, and so, and it also gives you a little bit more athleticism in the interior, and you can pass, generate some pass rush from the middle maybe a little bit better than you were able to this season. The thing that it does, and it sounds like a couple young guys, particularly Branson – or uh, yeah, Branson Dean and Willie Lane are going to get some cracks at defensive end position. Yeah, you know, we talked about it last podcast that there's always been this uh, kind of back and forth 
about what the real utility of the bowl game is. And they're and from a coaching standpoint, right? Like I think mm-hmm. it's fairly well understood from a uh, fan athletic uh, the booster development standpoint, what it's worth. It's, it's worth raising money and selling season tickets, but from a coaching standpoint, what is it for, you know, coach Tiller back in the day saw it as a reward and it was kind of a, you know, an incentive trip. Um, I believe coach Brahm and staff really are looking at it as a developmental opportunity. Well, I think, and it, I, I think that's a fundamentally healthy way to look at this. Well, I think not only that, but it also, is an opportunity to get on the national stage and show your young building program off to the, the national audience, and especially against a, a program like Auburn, who's a household name in college football. You've got a chance to show what you can do. You know, Brom has been very open about search stuff he's you know he feels like it helps recruiting well now you've got another opportunity to go down into nashville which is an area you know close to kentucky that that brahm has shown they want to try to recruit heavily so can we get david bell to announce his uh his commitment to purdue on uh, during the bowl game i think great i think i think he's waiting for the uh all-american army game or the the big one of the, like the seven big prospect games that gets played. That's like air. That's what Rondell. That's what Rondell did last year, right? Same kind of idea. Yes. Yeah, so I think that yeah. the idea is that he, you know, obviously, nobody has reported <clears throat> for sure what he's doing, but uh, I do believe that canceling all of his official visits and his in-home visits with anyone that's not Purdue seems to be pretty telling in in one direction where he's looking to spend at least three years playing college football. Yeah, it's a bit of a, you know, the old things that can in the mine shaft, right? That's right. It's a telltale. So, yeah, I think David Bell's probably going to end up in Lafayette, which is exciting for us. It's awesome. Yeah, and we'll get a little bit more into that, especially here, um, I think, actually, next week, I believe, is like, I think on Thursday starts the early signing period so next I believe, episode i believe nlis can be done next week yeah i think you're right yeah i think so yeah and so you and i will be able well, we can kind of get into it a little bit more next week as far as what fans can maybe expect from that highly touted 2019 class but looking at the class that just came in that 2018 class you know, this is obviously a huge opportunity for young guys to get a chance to to practice and get some real snaps. And I thought it's been interesting, you know, you coaching staffs talk about how it gets really tough, especially during the season. You just don't have enough time to focus on those younger guys. You know, especially if you're Jeff Brom, you're so focused on game planning each week and, and, and working with the guys that are going to play on Saturdays that you just kind of have to rely on your developmental staff and your support staff to make sure that those those freshmen and those young players who aren't seeing the field are, are staying ready and are, are getting better. But now you get the opportunity to kind of work hands on with them. You know, a guy like Jack Plummer, who I think a lot of people feel like is going to have a, a legitimate opportunity to, to contend for that starting position next year. You look at all the young guys at wide receiver who are going to have a chance to step up and make some plays. Heck, Evan Anderson, a red shirt running back who somebody's going to have to carry the football next year. 
you know, in some of the young offensive line, and especially on defense, you know, Branson Dean, Willie Lane, two freshmen who have played, I think, a combined 15 snaps all season and are going to have a chance to potentially play in the bowl game against an SEC opponent, and they may or may not be ready for it, but you're going to find out one way or another. Yeah, yep, yep, you're absolutely right. And I think the the talent that's coming is exciting in the development, and it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I think the other thing, at least that I've seen, uh, that will be interesting is the other positional change defensively. Like Derek Barnes is going to get moved to that Leo position, that stand-up rush defensive end slash linebacker spot that uh, Nick has the old easy. That's the old easy Chuku role, right? Yeah, well, and and Danny E played in that for a while. Right, and Derek Barnes physically – has a lot of similarities to, to easy Chuku and, and I think has shown in, in spots that he can be effective rushing the pass rusher using his speed to get around tackles. And so for him to kind of settle into that role and have a full off season to work there is only going to help a defense that's going to be improving. Yeah. I, this team's going to be fun to watch. You know, I, again, like we talked about the, at the top of the broadcast, I, I was down here with a bunch of guys that were <clears throat> friends of mine when I was your age. They were a little younger. And, you know, we were actually talking about it uh, before the game and before the basketball game. And um, I made the comment to them that it was not out of the realm of possibility and it would be w- within reasonable expectation to think that, you know, we may challenge for a Big Ten championship inside of two years. I, I think it's very possible with the, with the I talent think it, level that's coming. I think it's possible. I think that unlike in basketball, it's really hard to rely on a lot of young players in football because well, the, just the physical the physicality, is right? Yeah, absolutely, but, yeah, it's absolutely but different. The other thing that has changed that that is a factor that I think a lot of people have to consider is you've got a lot of high school kids who are training like the college athletes already. You know, I um. A little inside scoop. Uh, you don't even know this. This is me breaking news to you. Saw George Karloftis at, at Applebee's on Friday, half price apps. And, uh, man, he looks big for an 18 year old kid. Yeah. And, like, he, yeah. and yeah. so that's a guy who could step in right away and contribute on the defensive line. He may not start and he may not have the instant impact that all the fans would like him to have. But, I mean, he's a guy who physically will be ready to play. You know, Mill receiver seems like another guy who's going to be. I don't want to get too far into that rabbit hole because we're going we're gonna to need something to talk about next week. Okay. Well, let's, uh, you know, we, we know we've got Giovanni moving inside and going down into a stance. And mm-hmm. we're going to see some other guys maybe standing up and playing for the bowl game. And, we're, you know, we as fans are going to get a, a glimpse of maybe a little bit future forward. Yes, with with some guys and with a scheme and a team, and um, there's ample reason to be very uh, optimistic there with football. So. Yeah, which is speaking of teams that are trying to go future forward, uh, mm-hmm. Purdue basketball. Yep, they split this week. They were able to knock off Maryland at home in a close game, and then they dropped another close game on the road against Texas and. I think that Purdue fans are frustrated, and I think justifiably so. 
this basketball team seems to still really be trying to figure out what they do. Yeah, so I mean, two games and two different stories. Uh, Maryland, the game most notable there was the emergence of Aaron Wheeler. Yes. You know, Aaron had a great game, second game in a row. Uh, I've made it no secret on this show. Uh, my thoughts on how much Aaron should be playing mm-hmm. and what we need to be doing rotationally. He played great when given the minutes. I think he played 20, 20, 21 minutes yeah. against Maryland and was great. And I tell you, um, the other thing that stuck out in the game was just no Joe Eastern's defense. He really bottled up Anthony Cowan Jr. And, of course, everyone will talk about the block at the end of the game. But Nigel really, really gave him fits. And um, that was a, a good win for Purdue. Um, tonight, down here, uh, it's it's still pretty fresh. So you always, you know, maybe wonder about your perspective. But right. um, n- not such a great tale of the tape tonight. No. And Very- the one thing, and you and I were talking about this before we went forward, I never would have thought that we would be sitting here getting ready to finish up the non-conference slate, and I would feel better about where the defense is at than where the offense is. I've been really impressed by the defense, the intensity. Now, they're making mistakes because they're playing a lot of young guys, but they're making it tough for teams to score on them. And really, outside of one half against Virginia Tech and then one game against probably the second-best team in the country in Michigan – their defense has been pretty solid. See, I'm going to disagree. Man, I love you to death. You know that. But I'm going to disagree with you about tonight. Tonight, um, the thing that was really troubling to me was, in fact, the defense. Um, and I saw, I'll give you a couple of things just we can chew on and talk about. Sure. We, 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 were in, uh, we were in help and recover for large portions of the game because we have an inability to guard the ball. Yeah. Um, You know, and there's a couple guys that really struggle with it. This is a young team. It's a team that's developing. Uh, Eric Hunter Jr. really struggles to guard the ball. Yes. Hardcore. It's, it's a, it, you know, and I understand he's a, he's a freshman. Uh, A year ago, he was the most athletic gifted guy on the floor in high school didn't have to try and guard anybody. And now all of a sudden he's playing in a big boy league and everyone can put it on the deck and get to the rim and make a play. Uh He's struggling to guard the ball. And so what it did is it put, put our guys in help and recover and to Texas credit, and they've underachieved to to date until tonight, really, because it's an immensely physically gifted team, but they did a nice job of making the extra pass. They, They'd attack and kick and then make the extra pass. And they got great looks, which at the end of the night means they go 11 to 25 and shoot 44% from the three-point line. Right. And and this is a team that Texas fans would have told you leading up tonight couldn't fall off a boat and hit water. Yeah, I think they were shooting like 28% coming into this game, something like yeah. that from three. Yeah. They really yeah. struggled. We made them look good because of our inability to control the ball. And that was Corwin Roach. And Matt Coleman, largely, you know, and so for our, you know, for our listeners who are watching at home, that's number 12 Roach, and number two Coleman, they yeah. broke us down off the bounce all night, caused us to get in rotations on the help side. And then 
attack, kick, extra pass, bang, knock three down. It, it, they re, it, it, our defense really causes problems, our inability to guard. It's not just Eric. Sasha struggled. Klein struggled with it. Yeah. Heck, Carson struggled with it at times. I'll tell you, the only one was even halfway decent at night was East, was the Eastern kid. Yeah, no shell. Yeah, and I wouldn't tell you he was the push chop ball and ball defense. He just wasn't as bad as the rest of them. I thought in the first half there seemed to be and you know, I I didn't I've not coached. I didn't play at that level. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I know more than any anybody else. But just my casual viewer's eye, it looked like there was a real lack of interest in playing defense, especially in the first half. And it felt like there were some, there was some lack of communication and some just mental lapses that allowed Texas to find a rhythm early. And I thought that they did a better job of being more active in the second half. And, and I agree with you. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that the offense has been outstanding, or the defense has been outstanding. Rather, you know they they obviously are struggling to contain the ball across the board. Uh, they're weak side communication and their help and recovery has been suspect at times, but we have seen some tangible improvement from the start of the season to where we are right now. I'm real, real worried about how they find a way to score 70 points in a game right now because Carson scored 40 tonight and they didn't win. He's not going to get more efficient than seven to 14 from three putting up 40. They, they have to figure some things out on offense. Well, the offense was ugly as well. Defensively, we we were in, in help and recover a lot, and that's, I mean, they they shot it so well for that reason. Hey, hey man, I mean, here's the other thing: <laughs> they were 15 to 16 from the free throw line. Yeah, and you know, I, and I was sitting with some Texas folks, and uh, they were like, "We we've never played this way." The only reason that Purdue was even in the game, honestly, for all the stat you know fiends out there, is that we turned them over. Yes. Okay. They had yeah. 15 turnovers. We had six. That equates to possessions, right? We mm-hmm. didn't shoot it great, but we had extra possessions. It's the only reason we're in the game. Frankly, as poorly as we played, as poorly as we played and as well as they shot it, we should have gotten beat by 10 points or better. We, we were lucky to even have a shot at this thing, truly. Um, the offense is putrid. It, it's awful. And, and and we got into a, a point, and young teams sometimes do this with a dominant player, where everybody's just standing around watching Carson. And they, they quit running offense. And they, quit, they quit even looking for their own. And they're just watching Carson put on a show. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know? that is the more worrisome long-term issue, you know, problem for me as opposed to the defense, because I think that I, I know for a fact that Coach Painter is a tremendous defensive coach and that those young guys will, just by simply having to be out there, learn to become better defenders. They will get more comfortable with their assignments in, in help side defense and in rotation. I, I don't – I haven't seen anything the last – especially the last couple games that shows me that if, is if Ryan Klein's not hitting jump shots – that that they have another option outside of Carson to go offensively. Well, the way we're playing right now, the, the answer is, well, no, we don't. You're right. 
So Matt Harms, who at seven three has the ability to post up a little bit, yeah, doesn't doesn't really look to do it that much, and it's frankly not really a focus of the offense. Well, and I, I would tell you, he's not that great at it. I, I he had one post touch that I that is sticking out in my head, where he got two feet inside the restricted circle. It should be a layup or a dunk, and he traveled because I think he got uncomfortable. And he just went too quick. Now, maybe some of that's just it's repetition, 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 right? He's not posting up a lot in games. He just feels uncomfortable underneath the rim. But he seems to be a lot more comfortable facing up at 15 feet than he does catching the ball on the block. Yeah, he's not a a back-to-the-basket guy. Right. But I think there has to be some element of that, whether that's Matt or someone else. Right. You know, in the game. And so if I go right down the list, I mean, Carson Edwards is Carson Edwards. We, everybody knows Carson, right? Mm-hmm. If you read, read the scatter report, and I mean, everybody, he's no surprise. Yeah. Harms is not hugely effective with his back to the basket. No. He, he can shoot it maybe just a little bit. The truth of the matter is, he's probably a, you know, a 10 point, um, five rebound guy for this team. Klein is in very incredibly one-dimensional. Yeah. And he, he's actually not very hard to guard if you're long and athletic like Texas was. Yeah. Because all you have to all you have to do is get through the screens and speed him up a little bit and he's going to be off. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. He was one of nine from the three-point line tonight. And he was what, one of six, seven, eight against Maryland? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And again, Maryland was long and athletic too. Yeah. Not quite as much as Texas, not as deep. You know, Nogel cannot shoot the ball. No. He he does not threat to shoot. He's going to shoot a floater right-handed. He's not a gifted scorer. Um, Nogel's, you know, deal he brings to the party's defense. Grady Eifert plays really hard. He's a great kid. Um, he can't score the ball on his own and he can only score it if he's left open and has time and shouldn't be playing as much as he's playing. Wheeler is a redshirt freshman that uh, is going to be great. He played well against Michigan. He played great against Maryland. Yeah. He was in tonight. Yeah. Five points in 19 minutes. Evan Boudreaux is beginning to understand what big boy basketball is outside the Ivy league because it's six, eight or six nineties undersized playing the five. I don't think he should be playing the five. He should be playing a four, right? In in rotation with Wheeler, yeah, and maybe some spot minutes at the five. And then Hunter and Stefanovic are not comfortable and they're struggling. Eric Hunter offensively is struggling. He's really good in transition and he's really good attacking the basket and he's just trying to fit in. Th- so you're right. You're not wrong. I mean, yeah. they are handicapped offensively. You can't rely on Carson Edwards to score 40 blooming points a game because it's not going to happen. And he was actually really efficient tonight. Yes. He was really good. He looked like a pro. Yeah, he. I mean, he hit some shots that were incredible. The thing that really, truly is worrying me, and you and I have both noticed it, and we've both mentioned it to each other in passing, they are missing some open reads to generate points right at the rim within the flow of the offense. Yeah, you know, it happened about four or five times tonight that guys came off of, you know, what 
it looks vaguely like a a flex screen. Right. You know, and you got a guy coming and they just yeah, they miss it. You're right. They do. And They're not a good offensive team right now. No. They've got one tremendous offensive player who has struggled to embrace the all do it all creator offensive guy. I mean, Carson is a tremendous scorer. And I think he just needs to really focus on being a tremendous scorer. But they need, he needs help. You know, he can't do it alone. And whether it's going to be Ryan Klein or Matt Harms or one of the young guys, somebody's going to have to step up. And, and I think I have maintained that I believe that it needs to be Eric Hunter. Now, I also understand that he's a true freshman and he's struggling, you know, to go through the the trials and tribulations of Division One basketball for the first time. But he was a guy who was recruited and was and is known as a big time scorer off the dribble, scored all three levels. He has to be able to to give them something. Some of that's confidence. And I don't know if it is just as simple as, as Coach Painter and his staff just drawing up, even if it's just one or two looks. Let's try to get Hunter the ball in his comfort zone and see if we can't get him going. Because the, the long-term success of, of this basketball team is going to be dependent on whether or not he can make some plays offensively for them and help take some of the stress and pressure off of Carson. It's a young team. It's an incomplete team. Yeah. Um, they're young. They're inexperienced. Some of the guys that are going to have to be key guys are, are guys like Eric that are young. Mm-hmm. They're an incomplete team. You need a a Newman here. You need a, a Gillis here. It's a two-year project. Well, they're in, the, they're in a transition phase, and you and I have spoke spoken about this on the podcast a couple times there has been a change you know coach painter is changing the style of play they want to play more Se- up tempo seemingly seemingly yeah. right they want to be a little more up tempo they want to be more of a team that is playing guard centric perimeter oriented basketball but they are still trying to get a- enough depth and enough players to be able to do that and it's not something that gets done overnight. You know, you have guys like Ryan Klein, who has been a shooter at Purdue and, and has not been asked to do anything else. And he's still in these late game situations. He's in the in there for the first time, and he's got to learn like everyone else. And you've got all these young guys who are trying to figure things out. And, and this is also it's worth let's. Let's put it where it's at. We're a fan base that's been incredibly spoiled the last four years to have had the amount the amount of regular season success that we've had. And yeah, it's a rebuild. It's a two year deal. You got to do it. Get teaching practice this year with the guys you got, and you got to get some other guys in here who are inked. Yeah, there's a huge difference athletically with Texas tonight, and it was evident in person. Yeah you know, out close to the floor. And we had pretty good seats, so we were pretty close. But, I mean, Jericho Sims and Jackson Hayes. Those guys are – They're way more athletic than anybody on our team. Right. I'll take Matt Coleman and Elijah Mitro Long over Ryan Klein any day. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wasn't. You know, and so, I mean, there's just an athleticism deficit that exists as well. You know, that it don't matter what you're doing X and O wise schematically. You know, there's only one way to fix that, and that's through recruiting. And I think that it, you know, Coach Painter had this happen a couple, you know, a couple years ago, back when the Johnson brothers were here, and he really made an effort to kind of change the way that they're recruiting, you know, the types of players that they were recruiting. And I think he's making that adjustment again. I think he's he has he has long talked about trying to bring a shooter in in each class. But I think yeah. that he is he's seeing that if you go get a shooter who all they can do is shoot, it gets really tough to have him on the floor in this day and age because of the the new rules, the way that the game's being played you've got a lot of defensive liabilities. You need to be able to do more than just shoot the ball. You need to be able to handle. You need to be able to defend. You need to be able to rebound. Well, a guy like Brandon Newman is a perfect example of that, right? Like Brandon Newman's a 6'4 combo guard who can shoot the lights out but also can rebound. I don't know if you saw the video of him floating around on Twitter from his high school game the other night. They threw a, they threw a baseline alley-oop to him. Like that's a type of, you know, he's a you know quote-unquote shooter. But he's also a guy who can can bring some other things to the table for you as well. You know, Carson Edwards is a terrific example of that, right? Like a guy who who physically is more than just that shooter mantra. You know, he's a scorer. And so Purdue has to continue to get those guys. And you look at like a Virginia Tech. You know, Virginia Tech's got that. Virginia Tech's got a bunch of dudes who can shoot the ball, but also can do a lot of other things. You know, Villanova. Carson Edwards were six four. He wouldn't be at Purdue. No, he'd be. He would be playing for like the six win Cavaliers right now. But he wouldn't have committed to Purdue. He would have went somewhere else. Right, and but, we got him because he's a six foot guy that was undervalued. And I, Texas would have loved to have him. Well, tonight that was pretty evident. Yeah. He, so what we're saying, we're, we're we're talking around the issue, the same issue, and what we're saying is this: you got to got to be a little more patient. Yeah, got to be a little more patient in here now because there's some things that can get corrected through coaching and teaching, mm-hmm. and then there's other things that only get corrected by bringing some different guides in, and those guys, some of them are inked, and some of them are still pursuing. But this right. is probably a two a two year project. We got beat by it. Superior team. I I was disappointed in our execution towards the end. See, that's the thing is I I disagree with you that it's a superior team. I, I don't believe them to be a superior so team. Superior ath- athletically. Okay, yeah, that that they are, but they're not a better team than Purdue. And here's the other thing is that they, Pur- well, they they were tonight. They were tonight. Well, Purdue's what six and four. And they've yeah. only had one loss where they've been blown out of the gym. R- right. You know they're. Right. They're a basket here or there away from being eight and two. Yeah, we don't ex- execute real well in the game situations. That's a teaching opportunity. It's really disappointing. Final eight seconds tonight, probably not great. Yeah. Um, and we had that same thing earlier in the season. Yes. You know, just didn't execute well at some end of game stuff. It's a function of a lot of things. It's a learning opportunity, not only for the team, but, you know, for the coaching staff as well. You know, I think that behind, you know, in an, in an honest moment, Coach Painter would tell you that he's been 
you know, that especially last year, when you got such a veteran team, you just coach differently. You know, you don't have to rep some of the same stuff that you have to with a young team that has not had the experience. Because, you know, last year, Vince Edwards, Code Matthias, Haas, PJ Thompson, Carson, Klein, all those dudes know what to do at the end of game situations. Because they'd, they'd already done it, you know, three years prior in 2014. And so you got to think about it that way. We're kind of back to that 2014 type of season where, you know, Purdue ends up being an eight or nine seed in the NCAA tournament. I think that there isn't anybody that would say that that's not a successful season given the amount of talent and, and experience production that was lost from last year's team. Well, right now this team is not going to make the tournament. Well, the the good news they're is not, they're not playing well enough to make the tournament right now. No. They've got to get some things squared away mm-hmm. or they're not going to make the tournament. I agreed. But the good news for Purdue fans and and for that team for that for the team is that we don't decide who makes the NCAA tournament in December. No. So there's big ten big ten's no cakewalk, but No, it's not. It, it's not. And I think <clears throat> kind of got some future plans in a later episode for, for us to kind of start to delve into the Big Ten as we get closer and closer to conference play starting. Um so tonight disappointing like a couple other games this year. Yeah. You're right. Only been blown out really once. Young team. Gotta be patient with them. Yeah. It's going to be a learning teaching experience for a couple of years, but tonight was not a great night at all. No, no, it was not. But I, I still think I, I stand by this as a team that's got a lot of young building blocks. You know, even look at it a larger view, right? You know, I think that a lot of people believe that Carson will declare for the NBA draft after this season, but let's say he doesn't. You're only losing Grady Eifert and Ryan Klein. For in graduation, and you're going to add a trio of new guys next year. This is a team that even as close as next season could have a lot of talent and experience and added depth. So you know, let's let's keep the torches and the pitchforks in the closet for at least another week. You know, it's December tenth. You know, no time to or, yeah, just because it's now after midnight, so it's December tenth, <laughs> but. Yeah. There's no reason to uh, to panic just yet. No, no, I'm not advocating that. Um, and frankly, I don't know that Carson to the NBA at this juncture is any kind of given. Yeah, because he's going to have to show a lot more to that next level. I mean, he is six foot tall. Okay. Yep. So you know, that's neither here nor at this point. You need to keep teaching. Yes. Uh, you got the guys you got. You got the roster you got. You got to make it work. There are some structural deficiencies there, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Tonight was not great, and Texas shot it unbelievably well. There's a lot of reasons for that. They were due, one. Yeah. But uh, quite frankly, two, uh, it had a lot to do with our inability to guard the ball and put ourselves in a help and recover situation pretty much for 37 out of 40 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, I agree with you. It definitely, you know, it was a it was a disappointing night for the Boilermaker faithful, but a lot of season left to play. Another good yep. opportunity to get a get a quality non conference win on Saturday at the Crossroads Classic against Notre Dame. Uh, 
And no walk in the park. That's a good. That's a good squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, they could it, could very easily drop that one. It's a good. It's a good team, but it's also Purdue's going to get a week here to get some practice to to kind of hit the reset button and, and get ready for that game. So we'll see what they look like on Saturday. Uh, that's going to do it for tonight's episode. We said it was going to be a little bit shorter, and lo and behold, I look down at the the counter and we've run for about 35 minutes so a lot of good stuff uh, as always continue to listen and uh, you know let let your fellow boilermakers know you know we would we continue to grow the fan base uh continue give to- us that gmail account again so we can get some questions in yeah yeah go ahead and, and shoot us some emails at monday morning boilers at gmail.com all lowercase once again that's monday morning boilers at gmail.com or if you're on twitter you can uh you can shoot us a, a tweet at at mmb you know so we've got a couple different ways to to follow us but as always boiler up and hammer down